0: Our Old Testament reading this morning comes to us from the book of the prophet Isaiah in the 29th chapter, beginning at verse 9 and continuing through verse 14. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written, Pause and wonder. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with wine. With intoxicating drink, for the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets, and he has covered your heads, namely the seers. The whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one who is literate, saying, read this, please. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. Then the book is delivered to one who is illiterate, saying, "Read this, please." And he says, "I am not literate." Therefore, the Lord said, "Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men, therefore, behold." I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. This morning's New Testament reading comes to us from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in the first chapter, beginning at verse 18 and continuing through verse 18. 25, again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided, through the foolishness of our proclamation, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are being called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. God's foolishness, Paul writes, is wiser than human wisdom. That is as provocative a statement today as it was when he wrote it to the Fellowship of the Saints in Corinth. In his day, the intellectual elite, known generically as philosophers, were highly esteemed and influential members of the Roman society, as they had been generations before, when the Greeks were the predominant military power in the Mediterranean region. Even to this day, we have some of their writings still preserved. People thought enough of them at the time that they took care to protect their words and their wisdom and to pass it on. And the church did the same with the writings of Paul, so we are able still to read such epistles as this, his first to the Corinthians. For Paul to fire a shot across the bow of the most well-read and well-respected philosophical giants of his day was quite brash, but so too were many of Jesus' own teachings and actions. He was poking his finger in the eye of the Neil deGrasse Tysons and Anthony Fauci's and the Warren Buffets of his time and chiding them that what they thought was passing for great wisdom, it simply paled in comparison to the wisdom of God. What's more, God was using that great divine wisdom to enlighten the minds of the deplorables of the day, those whose humble hearts were open to learn of God and His holy will. And I believe the unchangeable God continues to be opening the hearts and minds and eyes and even the ears, as we talked about this morning in Sunday school, of the humble, even to this day, to listen for a word from the Lord. The great 19th century English preacher Charles Spurgeon said, simple minds sometimes find a glorified Christ where learned heads, much puzzled with their lore, miss him. Of course, God has gifted his creatures with free will and has allowed the mind of man to conceive of and to construct very many wonders, both of the ancient world and of the modern as well, and such knowledge has led to increases in both the quantity and the quality of life for billions of people. Nothing wrong with that, of course. But Jesus, after all, he was working to accomplish the same end through quite different means as he went about Palestine healing during his earthly ministry. The first apostles dedicated themselves to tending to the basic physical needs of those in their fledgling community. But before we, as a species, set out on our great victory lap to celebrate our ingenuity and our wisdom that has allowed us to solve so many difficult obstacles that we have faced. Paul here has a corrective reminder that what mankind may value as highly esteemed knowledge may be of relatively little benefit after all. It has been observed that the more knowledge mankind accrues, the less we know how to use it. There may be more than a little truth in that. To illustrate, since we are launching more and more lunar probes and we've just landed another rover on the surface of Mars, what does it benefit a scientist and the rest of humanity to know the soil composition of another celestial body or to postulate the speed at which the universe is expanding, if the scientist and the rest of humanity don't know the one who, in the words of the psalmist, has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy and like a strong man runs its course with joy. All the combined brilliance The collective wisdom of this world could not, in and of itself, ever comprehend God. And so, in his infinite and perfect wisdom, God has chosen a path of self-revelation to supplant the idols that he knew we could and would create with the truth of the one who, as we were reminded in this morning's call to worship, tells us, I am the Lord your God. This is the one who has brought us out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and he reminds the people, you shall have no other gods before me. The message of the cross, or the word of the cross, if you like, is folly, So declares the first verse of this morning's New Testament reading. But folly only to those, Paul notes, who are perishing. Put another way, the story doesn't make sense to those who have not believed in the story. Only by believing can you begin to appreciate and then to understand it. This paradox is a stumbling block to many who have had their hearts hardened, their sight dimmed, their ears stopped. As the prophet Isaiah had written hundreds of years before, to those who are illiterate, even the most illustrated manuscript is of no value. The sealed scroll may be in the hands of the world's most acknowledged authority in a particular discipline or feel, but they can make no sense of it whatsoever if God has not allowed them to unlock the seal. So often, it seems, the ways that the world measures worth in terms of power, privilege, popularity, wealth, status, wisdom, and the ways that God views worth are two very different things instead. So it is with the ways that people gauge intelligence, smarts, wisdom. God, Peter tells an audience of non-Jews in the book of Acts, is no respecter of persons. He does not show partiality based on human lineage, on heritage, on traits or abilities. The measure of a person's worth is simply a matter of that person's heart toward God. As it is with a person, so it is with a group of people, such as that which exists within a congregation. It's not uncommon for smaller churches like this one to, over time, begin to develop an inferiority complex. Carl Vader's, A small church pastor from California was a keynote speaker at a conference some years ago at Montreat in the Carolina mountains. Uh, He had a term for this, and he wrote a book about it called The Grasshopper Myth. It's a reference to a passage in the Old Testament that describes that the way the children of Israel felt about the inhabitants of the neighboring lands as the people of God were approaching the promised land after their trek through Sinai. They, they sent a stealth reconnaissance party of a dozen into the land to gather intelligence about the layout and the produce and the people of the region of Canaan, and they came back with a report that the soil was fertile and the crops were abundant, the climate was agreeable and water was plentiful, but there was a problem. Another tribe was already settled there, and they looked formidable. So the majority voted to refrain, conf- to, con- to refrain from confronting them on account of their perceived might. They saw themselves as small as grasshoppers in comparison because they could only see themselves through their own foolish eyes and not through the wisdom of the God who commanded them And continued to be on their side. The God who continued to speak to his people. But such human wisdom is always foolishness. Paul is reminding his readers in the light of the wisdom of God. This is the divine wisdom that was in the beginning. It was present for, it was active in the creation. It has existed ever since and has always had a plan for his people. This is the wisdom who calls them to trust that the plan is as good as their God is. This wisdom has a different and a superior narrative to that of humankind for, among other things, its origin is both the author and the creator of humankind. In this season of Lent that we are in the midst of at the moment, we walk alongside the divine wisdom as it turns our own human wisdom upside down. As the people of Jerusalem were to witness, the triumphant entry of the one they wanted to crown their new king was marked by a very short procession that consisted of a humble man in humble garments on a humble beast of burden. Upon his arrival at the great temple in the capital, he he departed before they could hold the inauguration. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends and confidants, and the institutional authorities seized, beat, tried, convicted, and murdered him, and still Jesus won. How is that possible? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And Jesus is reigning as victor. God continues to make foolish the wisdom of the world, even to this hour. The power of God is manifest in the power of the cross. The power to take away our sin. To crucify ourselves. To receive the redemption as the people that we have been created to be. With renewed minds that understand the wisdom from above and its superiority over that of the wisdom of this world. To become foolish in order that we might be made wise. Finally, the why. We've looked at scripture to help remind us of this harsh dichotomy between the foolishness of this world and the wisdom of God, but what difference does any of this make anyhow? I was reminded of at least a big part of the answer to that question this week. As my family returned from a visit to Grandma and Grandpa's house in the Tennessee mountains, one of the added benefits to being in the Smokies for a couple of Sundays is that my girls get a break from having to listen to me for yet another hour out of the week. Well, providentially, last Sunday, the pastor at the church they were attending was preaching from another one of Paul's letters, and his topic was related to this very question. What's the big deal about all of this anyhow? He reminded his listeners that in the final analysis, the world is not the be-all and the end-all. And I think that notion gets to the heart of the troubles involving the wisdom of this world, as so many who inhabit it are of the mistaken opinion that it and they are, in fact, the be-all and the end-all. But no, no, Scripture reminds us we are but a breath of vapor. There is so, so much more yet to come. This life is just the beginning, a prelude, a shadow of the life to come. When we fail to recall and to live into that reality, that is when we settle for blindness instead of sight. Wisdom is overcome by foolishness. The wisdom from on high can and should both guide us as we live in the here and now and prepare us to participate in the fullness of the life to come. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God, and amen.